0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Everyone, welcome to the first show of the 2022 season here on the Steen's Fire American Soccer Show, episode number 500, and, <coughs> excuse me, 533. I am your host, Daniel Foersterstein. I'll give you American perspective, our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Get your daily. Reading from me very soon over at the Red Bull News Network, now joining them this season. Covering everything in the New York Red Bulls, but always come here to the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show as I will give you the great American perspective of the sport here in the United States of America and, of course, in Canada and within this confederation of CONCACAF. The chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves uh, as much as you like. you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my ability. Great moments have happened. A lot of coaching hirings, a lot of moving around. what I will do, normally I do my intro monologue, but I'm going to save that after I play the audio. Uh, my guest, my first guest tonight, is supposed to be <coughs> Brian Dunseth, uh TV analyst of Real Salt Lake. Of course, he's also analyzing on both either Fox Sports or on ESPN uh, for MLS Action. Uh, had to do something later tonight, so... Uh, not available live to come with me, recorded the interview with him earlier tonight, so we're going to play that for you first, then I'll get into my little crux of an argument, and then we'll have later on Araceli Araceli Villanueva on the new head coaching uh, pick for LAFC, which is, of course, Steve Chirondolo, the current Soccer Hall of Famer, but first on the new ownership group that purchased Real Salt Lake. And to talk about that, of course, once again, RSL television analyst in a recorded interview, Mr. Brian Dunseth right now. Daniel Feuerstein, the first show of the 2022 season of American Soccer. Back with you. Happy New Year, everybody. And today we're going to talk with one of my favorite people of all time, Brian Dunseth, the TV analyst of Real Salt Lake and of course we all know he does MLS matches for both either Fox Sports or for ESPN as Real Salt Lake after the Deloy Hansen fiasco where he gave up ownership of Real Salt Lake Now we have the Smith Entertainment Group taking it over once again I'm with Brian Dunseth who has all the knowledge of the information Brian welcome back to the show and this has to be probably uh not so much that when real salt lake came into existence in their very first year of major league soccer with the dave Checkets group but to have an ownership group that everyone respects that everyone believes in that they will come in here and take the club to new levels
2: yeah no doubt about it uh and by the way happy happy holidays to you uh appreciate the time and joining you as always man um Hey, listen, this is the best-case scenario. Uh, you, you go back and you think about what this club has been through over the past couple of years from, uh, you know, Mike Pecky's situation to the Craig Weibel situation as a general manager to the owner with the Roy Hanson to the infrastructure and what kind of reared its ugly head publicly through the different stories that have come out over, you know, the last 18 months of the club. There's a lot of havoc, and I've, and I've stood both on the air and, privately to people that I know there's been a lot of good people that have worked uh between the walls of Rio Tinto Stadium and in that club that wanted the best and and you know negotiated a really difficult time in the past you know 18 months the past year in particular that Major League Soccer has been trying to find the correct owner for Real Salt Lake it hasn't been easy so credit to Don Garber and everyone involved um David Blitzer uh you know Hey, yeah, you, you, you know Steve Cangelosi. when David Blitzer's name was first linked to the club through that Sportico uh, article back in the fall, I got a text message uh, from Steve Cangellosi, uh and he said, if David Blitzer is involved in the ownership group at Real Salt Lake, you are going to be in for something special. Um, because, you know, calling New Jersey Devils um, and having David Blitzer as part of the ownership group, he kind of knew... The the environment that was created uh, through his stewardship as the owner. Then you combine that with Ryan Smith, uh, insanely successful business person with Qualtrex purchasing uh, the Utah Jazz for 1.6 billion last fall, uh, and and what he has done. You know the ownership group, including Dwayne Wade, with Smith Entertainment Group. So David Blitzer is kind of the lead. Ryan Smith is the partner, and uh, we are we are excited as I would say fans of Real Salt Lake, those who have been involved in Real Salt Lake from day one to now for what the future holds by this ownership group, um, because it really changes the trajectory, not only short term for what the club can do on and off the field, the stadium, the fan experience, but also the, the, the future with the infrastructure from the academy to the first team and what the five teams involved with David Blitzer's investment side what that kind of umbrella opens up for Real Salt Lake uh, in the present and also in the future.
1: I want to get to Ryan Smith first. Obviously, as you said, he is the owner of the NBA's Utah Jazz. What's it like for you to be, of course, not only being an analyst for Utah's second professional team, uh, but, you know, to have an owner locally being a part of Real Salt Lake. Of course, we all know Real Monarchs, part of the – uh, now MLS Pro next, and all and the RSL Academy situation. What does that mean to you personally? You know, as a Utah resident, and for all the RSL fans, that it's going to remain local with Ryan Smith's partnership in this.
2: Yeah, the one thing that Don Garber always said was because of the infrastructure that was always already here. Uh, and again, for those that don't understand, you have a training facility. Uh, that is from the academy, all the way to the first team that is built out in Harriman, which is about 15 minutes south of where the stadium is. Um, the academy has an apartment complex that is built for the entire academy. Uh, that is in the same parking lot as the training facility, or excuse me, as the as uh, it's called the Zebra Zions Bank uh, training facility. And there you have a STEM school for the education purpose of the academy. Uh, that is public and private combined. And then you have from the academy to the Monarchs to the first team, um, you have kind of a progression with two indoor, full-size indoor soccer fields um, with no like no poles standing. It's all freestanding. And then six to eight soccer fields outside, as well as the Real Monarchs um, stadium that is built on site. So that's all in Herriman. Uh, Then you have an America first training field, whereas Real Salt Lake used to train, but was solely used as the Utah Royals training facility. And then the stadium itself at Rio Tinto Stadium, which had the Utah Royals and Real Salt Lake with the same exact um, locker room facilities made available to both teams. So all of that was a part of that purchase. All of that stayed with this purchase for Blitzer and Ryan Smith. But in particular, for, for Ryan Smith, you know, one of the great things that he's done is such a phenomenal job in, in, in the city um, and the community. And for every win, I, I was, I'm a Clippers guy. I'm not, I'm not a Jazz guy. But the one thing I do respect is when the Utah Jazz win, they give out a full scholarship to one of these, these, these young kids in need of an opportunity. And I think last night, if I'm not mistaken, was the 32nd full scholarship that he has donated as a part of the Jazz Winds. And just thinking about that for the community here in Salt Lake um, and and knowing that it's becoming uh, more and more multicultural as the city continues to grow. And we're seeing so many people, so many different transplants like myself from Southern California or from Arizona or from Las Vegas, um, you know, it, it's just really cool to see the emphasis on the community. And Real Salt Lake was heavily involved in the community all already uh, in English and Spanish-speaking communities, and having been a part of that and seen that is, uh, is is really fun. So really, really excited, long-winded answer, but really, really excited to see what this looks like combining everything that's going on at the Jazz with everything that's happening at Real Salt Lake and combining forces to do everything from, you know, uh, school supplies to food um, to making sure you know weekend home packs for food are going for those in need, even in the school district we 're in we have thirty five thousand children that are under the poverty line, so the opportunity to give back to those in need and give them a solid stable foundation, just starting with the education and making sure none of these kids are going hungry throughout the day and have the clothes and 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 you know everything that 's needed. Um, I'm excited for all of that.
1: That's awesome to hear. Now we go to the David Blitzer side of things. Of course, as you know, and I know, as we already talked about, yes, he's the owner of the New Jersey Devils. Uh, he also owns the NBA's Philadelphia 76ers. So they're not too far away from each other. Just go up and down the New Jersey Turnpike to get to uh, either in, or you just take Amtrak to get to Philly or to Newark, and it's just right there. walked Well, at least with Philadelphia, you got to take the subway to get down to the uh, entertainment center and uh, sports complex. And at least with Newark, it's a good block or two away from the Prudential Center. But he also owns two other uh, European soccer clubs, as I understand it. He owns, uh, in England, he owns uh, Crystal Palace. And, of course, Augsburg, which just uh, brought over Ricardo Pepe uh, on a transfer over from FC Dallas permanently to do something wonderful for them, and we'll see what happens in the Bundesliga in Germany. What is it about Blitzer that you feel comfortable that, like you've said, you know, you trust in what Steve Cangelosi says, um, as he does work for MSG Network, doing the Devils and for the Red Bulls, but what makes you believe that, you know, you feel safe that the club is also firmly in his hands?
2: Um, I I can only tell you, listen... I don't, I don't pretend to be the guy who understands everything financially that's happening behind the scenes. Right. And anytime I know there's a a, a leeriness of anybody who's a billionaire and what their intentions are, is it, is it for, uh, the good of the game, if you will, or if it's just another vehicle, um, for financial success, all I can speak to Daniel is that I've now spent, let's see, I've had three different occasions so far. Uh, Wednesday night and Thursday afternoon when the announcement happened. And then we had David on uh, counterattack counter with Tony Miola and I on Sirius X MSC channel 157 last week, uh, mainly because I wanted to bust the chops of Tony Miola and get David to reimagine Tony with his long ponytail, uh, leather jacket and, uh, an eye rock with a T tops, uh, back in the day, growing up in Jersey. Um, but he's actually he, he actually has six teams. Real Salt Lake is his seventh investment in the soccer world. As you said, he's an investor in Crystal Palace. He's an investor in Augsburg. I was teasing him about uh, greenlighting the Ricardo Pepi deal the same week that he uh, got the deal for Real Salt Lake over the line. He's got Adio Den Haag over in Holland in the Netherlands. He's got Waslin Beveren in Belgium. Uh, he's got Al Corcone in Spain. Oh and finally, he's got Estoril in Portugal. And Estoril is currently in fourth place down in Portugal. So I think what David does is he's got the financial investment um, and, and the wherewithal to give people, and he puts people in charge. He puts good people in charge, and he affords them the opportunity financially to go make great decisions in building a club. Um, he did so with Crystal Palace and building the infrastructure from the academy to the first team. Um, and like you brought up with Ricardo Pepe to Augsburg the other day, green lighting, the biggest deal Augsburg has ever done. So my, my hope is that Real Salt Lake, as it stabilizes now with new ownership and getting out from underneath the, the unknown of what it looked like, basically operating without an owner for the last 18 months, um, that, that David and Ryan both create, Uh, the the financial opportunity for the club to go out and essentially discretionary spend on big players in a way that this club has never been able I always joked around this club um, was shopping at Super Target while other clubs were shopping at Nordstrom's or even higher and I think that's the opportunity right when you have the financial backing and power of these two groups put together the hope is from stadium rebuild and safe standing and pop-out bunkers and fan experience to the first team being able to compete on a yearly basis with the likes of, and probably this is outlandish now, but Toronto because of what they did with Insigne, but Atlanta, of Seattle, of Portland, um, LAFC, LA Galaxy, those type of clubs that are in for the significant spend on top of the salary budget. Uh, Well, Daniel, that's the hope that Real Salt Lake is going to be able to to have that opportunity as
1: well, and of course, Dwayne Wade, former Miami Heat player, um, you know, superstar of the NBA, definitely a Hall of Famer down the road, and uh, in, the, yeah. in the basketball Hall of Fame in uh, in uh, Massachusetts in Springfield. But how happy or surprised <laughs> are you that we have another former or current NBA player, or you know, someone who's traditionally not a soccer player or a soccer fan? or becoming a soccer fan, now being a part of an ownership group like what James Harden was or is with the Houston Dynamo as a small minority owner, um, Kevin Durant uh, with the Philadelphia Union. Um, you know Now Dwayne Wade's thrown his name into, into the hat. What, what's your feeling about this?
2: Yeah, it's incredible, man. Um, I remember saying to... Tyler Gibbons, who uh, who was a part of Real Salt Lake, uh, that that kind of runs behind the scenes on the broadcast stuff. When the tweet came out about Dwayne Wade joining the Utah Jazz, at that point, because Ryan Smith had already been in the building and already discussed with the Royhans from the possibility of buying the club, and elected to go in a different direction um, because he's in the midst of, of purchasing the Utah Jazz. I remember saying to Tyler, man, can you imagine if Ryan would have bought Real Salt Lake and now Dwayne Wade being involved in soccer? Cause I knew he was a soccer fan on the men's side and the women's side, but hadn't really seen his allegiance to an MLS team. Um, and had he, had he done so that most likely, I guess, my assumption would be into Miami. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, for, for those that under, don't understand Smith entertainment group, it's basically the same group that, that, is the owners of Real, or excuse me, of Utah Jazz, and you've got some big, big swingers in, in kind of the Silicon Slopes involved, and that's what we call it up here in Utah—not Silicon Valley in San Jose, but Silicon Slopes in Utah, uh, because there's so much tech coming to Utah right now. But then Dwayne Wade tweeting about Real Salt Lake—I mean, I just I, I what has he got? Like 18 million followers on Twitter. I just never thought that he would be kind of co-signing this organization. So extremely excited. Um, Again, the level of involvement is going to be up for interpretation over the next couple of months as everyone kind of beds in and settles in. Um, But as of right now, it seems like from the soccer side, David Blitzer's, I'll call him, quote-unquote, people in conjunction with those here at Real Salt Lake will be making the soccer decisions. And I would assume that Ryan Smith, Smith Entertainment Group, will be doing exactly what they did with Vivint Arena in the Utah Jazz, which is um, significant stadium upgrade and fan experience, along with, obviously, the tech side, which he brings to the table. You know, when you think about uh, Qualtrics and SAP, if you're a tech person, you'll know SAP, Hoffenheim, Bayern Munich, um, highly, highly invested in the fan experience, uh, so much so that everything is on the app, at the moment that you walk inside the stadium, it's your parking pass, it's your season ticket, it's your food and beverage, it's your team store, everything is all-encompassing. If, uh, if, if they run out of beer in Section 2, you can report it, and that's refilled. Someone drops a hot dog in Section 34, you report it, and the mess is cleaned up. It is all about the fan experience. So that's kind of what I'm expecting coming down the line. And I would assume with the short turnaround time in the offseason, and a more extended off-season next year with uh, the World Cup in Qatar happening in December, that a majority of that stuff will be earmarked uh, to start for kind of the end of the season uh, heading into 2023.
1: And finally, what's your feelings about Pablo Mastroeni as uh, <laughs> the head coach permanently now with Real Salt Lake and, of course, these men making the decision to keep him uh, as head coach of Real Salt Lake after the, uh, the small amount of time he had during, the, the back end of the regular season in the playoffs.
2: Yeah. Listen, full disclosure. Um, I have a personal relationship with Pablo. He and I played with each other, uh, down. We we're on the same team down at Miami fusion, actually Kyle Beckerman, Nick Raimondo. Uh, we were all on the fusion together. So that was kind of a funny moment when we were talking with Ryan Smith and David Blitzer the other day. Um, Pablo did an excellent job with Colorado. People forget that when he was at Colorado, he won the Western Conference. Um, so, you know, much in the same manner, Robin Frazier's gone into Colorado and done a great job. Uh, but Pablo, you know, he stepped back. He's, he's cultivated his craft, and I think he took over a team that was a little bit lost for identity when Freddie Juarez uh, was in charge and elected to leave midseason at the All-Star game to go to, uh, go to Seattle. Um, and he changed the system, I think he got the best out of the group, and they went to a Western Conference you know final, uh, fell short, and at the end of the day, lost to a better team in Portland. Pablo had the opportunity to go to Cincinnati and had the opportunity to go to Houston. And he was their first choice and elected to come to Real Salt Lake. So I, for one, am extremely excited. I know there's issues with the club with regards to players right now, with Albert Rusnak leaving uh, to go to Seattle, not being an offer a contract from Real Salt Lake, trying to figure out if Anderson, Julio, if that deal can be renegotiated. And then ultimately the bigger questions, uh, defensive midfielder is the top priority. They need a left back. They need another center back. And now they need another winger. Intrigued to see how the uh, how the group goes about finding these players, but, Daniel, I think there's a really good base and an understanding of what Pablo wants to do. Now they've just got to pick the right players and add to this group going forward.
1: That's Brian Dunseth, RSL TV analyst, locally, of course, nationally for both either ESPN or Fox Sports. Dunny, thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Good luck this season, and uh, let's see what happens with Salt Lake in 2022.
2: Well, I appreciate it, brother. Anytime you need me.
1: Brian Dunseth once again on the new ownership group for Real Salt Lake, and I really think it's going to work out well for them, and we'll see what the future holds for Real Salt Lake as a club. Who knows? They could be back on a trajectory. I'm I not going to predict to say how far or how close they are uh, from going back to becoming um, a solid MLS club. But, you know. With having Pablo Mastorini as head coach of the club right now, David Ochoa in goal, and, you know, moving on from the Kyle Beckerman era uh, of this club, I-, I just feel like they're going to be, an- again, a Western Conference power uh, somewhere down the road. They still have uh, a bunch of uh, things that are probably... Probably are going to be having a uh, roadblocks here and there, but we'll have to find out, and we're going to have to wait to see what's going to happen. So, we'll just have to wait and see what the situation will be. So, um, you know, once again, we'll just have to wait and see. Now, um, waiting on my next guest, which will be Araceli Villanueva from Switch the Pitch. She covers. LaFC, and of course, as everybody knows, Bob Bradley no longer with the club. He has now moved on to Toronto FC. (coughs) Excuse me, as he will now establish himself along with uh, his son Michael uh, being the new head coach. Excuse me, Uh, new head coach of uh, Toronto, and uh, and these two have uh, basically reunited once again since, of course, being part of the national team um, for the 2010 World Cup and, of course, the time when Bob Bradley was the uh, head coach of the men's national team and then, of course, before that when Michael was a midfielder at the time for the Metro Stars in his uh, first year as a professional, his father's third and only and last season with the Metro Stars before he was unceremoniously... Uh, let go, and of course, you know, taking over uh, in Egypt for the national team, the U.S. men's national team, uh, and so on, and so on, and so on. So uh, she'll be joining us to talk about the new head coach of LAFC, which is the current Hall of Famer, uh, Mr. Steve Cherundolo, of course, the mayor of Hanover in the German Bundesliga. Very interesting stuff that uh, in, in Hanover, they only speak English. Uh, to Turandolo as he was uh, one of their top defenders back in the Bundesliga for Hanover 96. Very interesting. Very, very funny uh, to hear that, of course, in that German town. So we'll just have to uh, talk. We're going to talk to her about that uh, and moving forward. Um, As everyone knows, we are in a World Cup year. There's still qualification to be uh, taken care of. As we all know, the next three matches in this current window will be coming at the end of January, beginning of February. And once again, the first game of the three matches that are coming back will be on Thursday the 27th. And <coughs> excuse me, um, that will be at home uh, against El Salvador in Columbus at Lower.com Field. And then they will travel up north to Canada and play against Canada in Hamilton, Ontario, at the Tim Horton Stadium. Of course, that's home to the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the Canadian uh, Football League, which is, of course, uh, their American Football League uh, team, as well as Hamilton Forge, the successful Hamilton Forge of the Canadian Premier League team and then on Wednesday February the 2nd uh, they will be back home they're going to be over at Allegiant Field um, excuse me Allianz Field in St. Paul Minnesota to take on Honduras and that should be interesting to watch big moments for this U.S. men's national team these next three matches uh, moving forward and so as we talk about World Cup qualification, let's just quickly take a look at the standings right now at the full octagon table. Once again, all eight club, excuse me, all eight national teams have already played eight matches. Canada once again undefeated with four wins and four draws for a grand total of 16 points. Uh they've scored 12 and allowed five. The United States, our U.S. men's national team, right now four wins, three draws, and a loss for 15 points in second place. They've also have a score 12, allowed five for a plus seven. Mexico in third place with four wins, two draws, two losses, both losses, <coughs> excuse me, coming at the hands of both Canada over in Edmonton and of course the United States over in Cincinnati. So those are the two big losses and of course one of the draws at home at the Azteca against Canada for a 1-1 draw. So for Mexico it's basically you know in third place where you rarely see them in third place. And even though people are still saying, well, Mexico is still Mexico, which is true, but the truth is is that against the bigger boys or the big boys in the same group, Canada and the USA and Mexico in the north zone, um, they're 0-1-2 right now with that big matchup against the U.S. back at the Azteca in the first of three last qualifiers uh, in March – and I don't know if the u s will qualify or if Canada will qualify in this particular window for the FIFA World Cup in Qatar, but you know where you know it's it looks like they they might be able to, but you don't want to give some of these other uh opportunities to the lower four in the uh in this eight group uh final round of qualifying Panama right now. Also, with four wins, two draws, and two losses for 14 points, they are on a plus two, while Mexico is on a plus four. So as of right now, it would finish off Canada, USA, and Mexico into the World Cup, and Panama would be in that fourth-place playoff uh, to take on one of those opponents um, in the one match and done for the international playoff. And we'll see what happens once we get to that. But Costa Rica in fifth place with nine points. Jamaica in sixth place with seven. Seventh place is El Salvador. And the only team that's winless right now is Honduras. as They're in dead last on five points. So, you know, this is a situation for the U.S. where they are definitely got an opportunity here to go out and do some damage next up my next guest of course uh you can read her uh, articles on switch the pitch talking about of course if it's not sporting kansas city it's los angeles football club my good friend araceli villanueva joins us on the brand new head coach of lafc in current soccer hall of famer steve Cherundolo. araceli happy new year hope you're doing well thank you for joining me tonight
0: Happy New Year and thank you again for having me on the show. It's been a crazy week in MLS news and even right now we are preparing for the United Soccer Coaches Convention here in Kansas City.
1: Oh, I know. That's going to be a fun time. I went there when they were in Philadelphia a couple of years ago when the MLS Superdraft was also over at the Coaches Convention. No more, obviously. It's now a standalone event. Um Uh, obviously in a studio somewhere in Manhattan at the MLS offices. But um, Bob Bradley no longer with LAFC. He has moved on uh, to Toronto, but you have a new guy in Steve Terundolo who was at the time managing USL Championship Club Las Vegas Lights. What in your mind saw LAFC make this move to bring over the current Hall of Famer, to become and to take over uh, for the for this ending of the Bob Bradley era to begin his.
0: Well, you kind of already mentioned it, that Steve Sherlindolo is coming to us from LASC's USL Championship uh, affiliate for Las Vegas Lights, where he posted a 623-3 record for his first year as a head coach. So with that being said, his hiring was a bit surprising to fans because, of course, you know, the big question is how will he be able to fill Bob Bradley's shoes? And I definitely see that being um, some comparisons this season, especially in the first half. But in terms of his uh, qualifications, he is a former player. He coached in Germany before moving The USL. So he does have a little bit of a coaching background, but considering that he is coming with a mix of experience as a former player and some coaching, I I think he would be a good fit. Uh, But again, it's going to be hard to judge considering, you know, he will now be at the MLS level. So I would predict around maybe game five, game six, where we can give a more accurate reading of his style per
1: se Mm -hmm. what have you seen uh, from LA from uh, Las Vegas lights games uh, that you feel in your opinion that this is the right person to take over what have you seen from uh, past archived games through ESPN plus that you feel that uh, you know the time he's been with Vegas that he can be the one to push the club forward from the Bob Bradley era
0: well, I think what a thing that our fans that are looking at with his time with the Las Vegas Lights is how he was how he had a role in developing um, L.A.S.C. players like Bryce Duke, who has now moved on to Inter Miami and just kind of his work with the academy kids there, because you know his record obviously is not a favorable record but he has been successful in the development of younger players who are now moving up to the senior team, if not other clubs within the MLS.
1: Do you feel your high-priced players, like we all know, uh, Carlos Vela, who has resigned with the club, uh, Diamande, um, excuse me, Adama, I should say, um, you know, being a part of the LAFC fabric? and, you know, other players that have been a part of this club uh, for the, the strong seasons they've had since coming into the league, do you feel that they're going to uh, get used to a, a different form of tactics and formations to play better than what they were under Bob Bradley? Do
0: you have a sense to adjust quickly to new tactics because it? It's not unusual for Bob, especially in the last season, having implemented those type of tactics and changing the format, or excuse me, the 4 ooh, excuse me, the four-three-three formation into different styles. So I think that they are uh, used to it in a sense also having played on other teams and having to learn other new managers, what I think that veteran players like Carlos Vela is really going to play a key role in helping continue that leadership when it comes to the younger players. And I would hope that he and um, this new head coach, Steve Sarandolo, can come to a type of compromise. Because even in the press conference, Terrandolo says that he has had extensive discussions with Carlos Vela.
1: Now, the club has made a move. They brought over Kellen Acosta from the Colorado Rapids to be a, that important cog in the midfield. Do you feel this is a player that Tirondolo, uh likes a lot? <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, watching him, you know, be a part of that Gold Cup team that beat Mexico uh, to win uh, that title from last summer, and of course being a part of the uh, national team during World Cup qualifying, do you feel that's a cog that'll be important for the midfield? Not just, of course, to assist in you know more wins, but to at least you know a player that Torundolo probably had an eye on once he got uh, uh, the job with the club.
0: I think when it comes to a player like da DaCosta, his record kind of speaks for itself. He is a um, well-decorated midfielder, but in terms of how he will fit into LESA's system, I think it's very possible that he can kind of slip into that role. I, I say very easily, as optimistically as I can, but considering that we have lost a high level midfielder like Edward Atuesta, we are in desperate need of that role, so I feel like he can do it, but as far as being scouted by Sharundalo, I think that's more of a John Thorrington scouting than Shorundalo to be honest.
1: No, that's fine. I mean look, if uh uh Thorrington felt uh he this is the one that needed uh, to be uh picked up then so be it and you know, can't really de- deny the uh, the great plays and the and the talent of Kellen Acosta has done amazing work uh, throughout his years in MLS as well as on that national team. So, it's going to be interesting to watch what's going to happen here. Do you feel that the club, you know? is going through a big transitional moment right now. I mean, I, I don't think anybody wanted to see Bob Bradley leave. Uh, obviously, they want to see Bob Bradley continue on running uh, LAFC, but unfortunately, it's out of uh, everyone else's hands. Uh, what do you think led to the dismissal, or at least to Bob Bradley saying, I'm going to move on?
0: I think it's kind of hard to point to the exact direction of what led Bob to decide not to renew his contract with LASC. I mean, as someone who has been covering, let's say, uh, Sporting KC for the last seven years, we I have seen it a lot when it comes to the coaching staff. Even though I am out of Peter for me to never seems it's ever going to leave. But <laughs> um, I think when it comes down to like the fan perspective especially last season when Leicester wasn't performing at their highest there was a lot of rhetoric unfortunately of you know to fire Bradley and unfortunately it's one of those situations where it did come true again you know he did not decide to or yes excuse me he decided not to renew his contract that led us to this new head coach but I think the the club, in a way, is um, in a rebuilding type of season because they do have this new head coach. And I kind of already mentioned it previously, you know, with Bryce Duke joining Miami. But along with him, we the club has also lost uh, Tristan Blackman, Edward Tuesta, Pablo Ciencinega. So to try to fill those empty roles, With preseason starting tomorrow, it's going to be challenging, but I am very curious to see how the club um, advances moving forward.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there. It's going to be interesting to watch after such a great start coming into MLS a couple years ago and, of course, uh, winning a Supporters' Shield title, almost going all the way in the CONCACAF Champions League uh, final Uh, about a year or two ago and uh, to see, you know, everything that uh, I thought, that I thought actually LAFC was going to be the very first MLS club to win that uh, title. Unfortunately, that did not happen under uh, facing Tigris. But still, though, um, I I really thought that was going to be a big push there and they were going to really be celebrated all over MLS. Uh, On a personal note, I'd like to ask your opinion, of course, uh, New York city FC, uh, will not be hosting again, home matches in CONCACAF champions league action. Uh, they're coming to bank of California stadium to basically play their home games all the way in LA. And, you know, I was just curious to know your thoughts on that.
0: Very ironic. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously we would, love to I would love to see New York get their own stadium eventually. But for them to play their games at the bank is definitely gonna be a spectacle and I to my understanding there is a running joke that at least they'll be a championship team at the bank but at the same time, you know, considering it's LSC's home, it, it it really is gonna be something. And, again, you know, I would hope that the league approves some type of stadium for them in the future because they have gone seven years now, I believe it is, without a home field of any kind. I mean, they have Yankee Stadium, but you can only be in a baseball stadium for so long.
1: Exactly, exactly. It would have been weird to see, you know,
0: the LA Galaxy at
1: Dodger Stadium or – uh you know lafc maybe over at angel stadium uh if this ever happened and uh glad and look i mean i'm happy that the ownership group when they weren't ready to come into mls because the bank wasn't ready to be open yet for the fans they said they're going to wait until their stadium is completely ready to go ready to fill people in and then they'll be ready for the league uh in that certain time period and They did the right thing, and, you know, this is what happens when you're having everyone at MLS 2.0, 3.0, and you have NYCFC stuck at MLS 1.0. So I don't know. It's just really been difficult. It's just difficult to watch to see this happen, and it's just a sad running joke if you ask me.
0: (laughs) I think you said it best, that – any time you see a different team perform in another stadium, it's always going to be kind of eye-opening and does make you question, and I hate to you <clears> know, <throat> keep bragging on New York, but there has been – wasn't there an occasion where they had to play at the Red Bull stadium or use oh, the yes. stadium for a home field?
1: Oh, yes. They used it for half their <laughs> home games.
0: Maybe they, they need that new right. portable stadium that they're proposing to use in Qatar for the world cup. <laughs>
1: There's not enough room on the Hudson river for that.
0: It could be in Queens one season then move it over to the Bronx or just move it to different boroughs each season.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, our listen, thank you very much for joining me tonight. Good luck this year. Um, with LAFC, and let's see what Steve Terundolo will do as the new head coach of LAFC. Thank you for joining me tonight. Have a happy new year, and uh, I'll talk to you soon during the year.
0: Hey, Thank you for having me.
1: All right, thank you. Araceli Villanueva switched the pitch, covering both for Sporting Kansas City and LAFC as we talk about the new head coach of LAFC. So, so. I think everybody knows where I'm going with this. And I had to ask that question to Araceli because the truth is it's gotten to the point where, you know, this is it. It's enough. Enough is enough. And this is not because, oh, you know, I cover the Red Bulls. You know, I've been a fan of the MetroStars slash Red Bulls since the league began in 1996 and I understood what Don Garber was trying to do when he's trying to get two teams in New York City and two teams again in Los Angeles because he wanted an intercity rivalry uh, moving forward and okay fine NYCFC won the championship NYCFC won the MLS Cup first and all that stuff and it didn't take them that long and whatever and okay, you know, they they achieved it. They achieved that goal. Congratulations to them. It's okay. I don't have a problem with that. My problem is is that the way that the league handled the this entire situation with New York City FC coming into the league without a stadium and they've said, "Oh, well, but we had stadium plans. We were going to take over the land where the GAL corporation was. It was an old uh, elevator construction company, now they just do other things than, you know, no longer elevators. The company is across the street from where the site of the old stadium was, which of course is now just a parks uh, and recreation area called Tradition Field. That's where the old Yankee Stadium is. Uh, now, you know, they've they filled in the land they replaced the parkland that was taken down when it was Macombs Dam uh, Stadium, um, where the new stadium is right now. They went across the street on the northern end of 161st Street. And, you know, Don Garber wanted to have so badly and so desperately a team, a second New York City team to play and to challenge the Red Bulls. And all I can really say is this is a mistake, period, because of the running joke that they are. I don't care if Manchester City is 80% ownership. I don't care if the Yankees have the 20% ownership. And this is not aimed at good people who do cover the club, enjoy and Joe Tollison, who are the yes broadcasters of NYCFC. This is nothing against Glenn Crooks and his partner on the English radio side of NYCFC. This is not against Roberto Abramovich, who is the Spanish language uh T, you know, play-by-play guy on Spanish-language radio of NYCFC. This is not aimed at them because I would never aim anything at them. I respect them a lot. I respect them too much. They are good people doing a good job covering the club. And as much as they are covering the club and supporting the club at the same time, let them going crazy and nuts and everything for them, which I give them full respect for. This is not aimed at them. This is aimed at the league offices of MLS. This is aimed at Don Garber. This is aimed at the Yankees, Manchester City. And for the people who are blindly supporting them, who have no stadium to talk about. Nothing. Nothing. You are a joke of a club because you got to go all the way across the country to play your CONCACAF Champions League home games, stadium made for a Los Angeles soccer team that is not yours. You continue to play home games at areas that are not meant for the game anymore. You are a joke of a club. You are stuck at MLS 1.0. This is stuff that should have been outlawed a long time ago. I remember the days... When MLS came around and all the clubs that started did not operate their home stadiums during games, whether it be a Champions League game from CONCACAF or a home game for a U.S. Open Cup match because they had to go to a smaller facility and not open up whether you played at Giant Stadium, Foxborough Stadium. Tampa Stadium, the home stadium for the University of Ohio State, the Cotton Bowl, Spartan Stadium, the Rose Bowl, Mile High Stadium, <coughs> excuse me, RFK. You had to play these home games. In a smaller venue that barely had over 10,000 seats. I remember traveling. (laughs) Excuse me. I remember traveling to Rutgers University's Yurkak Field. For a home Open Cup match. I remember traveling out to Long Island to Mitchell Athletic Complex Field near Hofstra University for home games. They even had to use the Columbia University football stadium once. The athletic fields that was in the upper area in Washington Heights of New York City because the regular campus is further downtown on 125th Street in Harlem. These MLS teams had to use collegiate or athletic fields to play home games in the U.S. Open Cup. Meanwhile, you're watching these Premier League teams on ESPN using their own stadiums like Highbury, like Stamford Bridge. like Old Trafford, all of these regular football grounds in England being used for FA Cup matches until the semifinals and the final, where everything is at Wembley. Same thing goes on in, French, in the French Cup, the German Cup, the Coppa Italia, and the Copa del Rey in Spain. We are not there yet, but at the same time, New York City FC is not there yet either. You can celebrate your MLS Cup championship, you go right ahead. You're a joke, because you cannot host a CONCACAF Champions League match in a baseball stadium. And I understand... You're not happy that CONCACAF is not allowing you to play your home games, Yankee Stadium. Because you want to know why? Because they don't want you to. Because they feel that if you are a part of the North Zone, you are Toronto playing at BMO. You are Vancouver playing at BC Place. You are Montreal and you are going to play your home games at the Olympic Stadium. That's, that's enough. That's good enough for them. Because they don't want you to play part of the field where you have to put fake grass over the infield dirt. You have to go to the football field at Fordham University in the Bronx. The soccer stadium at St. John's University in Jamaica, Queens. I just don't understand. Why can't you just go back to Connecticut? Go to Rensselaer Field. It's regulation. Good enough for them. I understand Red Bull Arena is not available. So go and play at MetLife. There's no playoffs. Jets and the Giants are not in the playoffs. Go there. But no. No, you have to be stubborn. You have to be stubborn about it. And this is why you're the running joke of Major League Soccer. And this is why... I am upset with Commissioner Don Garber because he did not care about making sure that the plans to build a soccer-specific stadium somewhere within the five boroughs, that the plans were going to be concrete and and these silly arguments wouldn't be happening… Do you know how long it took for this club, the New York Red Bulls, slash the MetroStars, to finally build Red Bull arena
2: <clears throat>
1: within the tri-state area? Now, when people understand the crap Red Bull fans, MetroStars fans had to go through when it comes to this area, whether it be in New York City politics or the state of New Jersey politics, Jeff – Zoffinger was the head guy running the New Jersey Sports and Exposition Authority that runs the Meadowlands, Monmouth Racetrack, anything to do with horse racing, sporting events, and everything. Every time he would go on Sports Talk Radio... He would say, we want the MetroStars to get their own stadium. We want the Red Bulls to get their own stadium. We want them to get – let them go. It's okay. Let them do it. But he would turn around and contact the New Jersey legislature to tell them, we're red-flagging this. We don't want them to have it. So he would claim to let them go, and then he would turn around – And said, no, it's not going to happen. We have the final say. And it took the Red Bulls, the Red Bull Energy Drink Corporation, to drop the amount of money to build that stadium in Harrison. You can claim that NYCFC is a club for the city, but I don't think the city wants the club. Where's your parade? Weren't you supposed to have a parade? (coughs) Wasn't former mayor Bill de Blasio decreeing you get your own parade? And then he turns around and said, nope, you're not getting a parade. Just have it at the steps of City Hall. That's it. You're supposed to have a Canyon of Heroes parade up Broadway. And then it got wiped away. And if you're telling me you're a city club, city doesn't want the club. Because every single time I have to hear or read reports of, oh my God, we're getting a stadium. Oh my God, it's finally going to happen. It's going to happen. Here it comes. Here it comes. We're getting a stadium. And then five hours later, maybe 15 seconds later, three days later, a week later, There is no stadium. And the so-called parking spots that the Yankees are going to give up to build the stadium. And the city said, no, no, you're not giving up those parking spots. You're not going to build your stadium. Do you understand? This city does not take the sport seriously. Unless you are a European football club, a South American soccer club, an African soccer club, or an Asian soccer club, we are a melting pot in New York City. They say the United Nations is in Manhattan when the truth is… New York City is the United Nations, but they want nothing to do with NYCFC. If this stadium idea does not get through, if this stadium if this stadium deal does not come through. This is the biggest joke of a club, period, regardless of what you win, regardless of how many MLS Cups you're going to win, Open Cups you're going to win, CONCACAF Champions League moments, that you're, tournaments that you're going to enter, you're still the biggest joke in American soccer circles. The only way this whole situation gets relieved is if you have your own stadium. And now and forever, until that happens, you're basically a laughingstock. No one's going to say it. I will. You are a laughingstock New York City FC. Maybe you should share Red Bull Arena and pay rent. Maybe you should go to MetLife. Maybe you should actually build a stadium past McLean Avenue into Westchester County to take a section of the parking lot of Yonkers Raceway and the Empire City Casino area. Because I don't see a solution within the five boroughs. Unless you want to go to Staten Island? I think that's the only place you can build a stadium that wants you there. You're a joke. Whether you like it or not, you're a joke. You should have stayed within the tri-state area of New York City, but no. No, you'll take the Bank of California Stadium in Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles. Good for you. Finally, finally, I want to say something uh, to the hosts of Football Americas from ESPN, aiming it more towards Sebastian Salazar than Hercules Gomez. First of all, I respect those two. They do a fantastic job on that show. Um, <clears throat> and, of course, they always talk about, you know, having promotion relegation in Major League Soccer or having it in American Soccer and what are the solutions. And every time Sebastian Salazar brings up an idea brings up an idea about what could be done he fails that idea of what can be done because he's not understanding what is the main crux of the situation that promotion and relegation is not inside American soccer. I've been saying it for a long, long time. But nobody wants to listen to it because they have their own ideas. And it's really simple, really, really simple, to be honest with you. And it's the one thing that he forgets that he's not paying attention to, Sebastian Salazar. You can talk about the financial sharing of the broadcast money. You can talk about anything and everything that you know whatever goes on in Central America, South America, what goes on in Mexico, which I think that's a poor example because there's barely anybody promoting and being you know being promoted or being relegated in Mexico, but he's forgetting the most important situation that is out there. And that situation, my friends, is stadiums. We have clubs in MLS that still plays in stadiums that are not meant for this game. Or even though they are built for the game, I still feel they should not be used for the game. Obviously, there are two clubs that we should be grateful for that has soccer, that is owned by NFL owners like Atlanta United at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And, of course, the Crafts in Foxborough for the New England Revolution – Charlotte FC has come in, now run by David Tepper, who is the owner of the Carolina Panthers. We have basically the Chicago Fire leaving Bridgeview and a soccer-specific stadium to go back to Soldier Field. We have <clears throat> clubs the seattle sounders that do fill up lumen field but don't don't you feel that maybe if they actually had a soccer specific stadium that they would actually do things great even better <coughs> and to be honest with you to be honest with you because the seattle sounders are a team that are respected by the people who live in Seattle. I mean, if you built an old Trafford or a La (coughs) Bombonera, excuse me, type (coughs) state, excuse me, type stadium in Seattle. Um, oh, excuse me. Sorry about that. I know I'm under the water a little bit here. Oh, sorry about that. Oh, boy. Wow. I apologize.
0: Oh, oh
1: this is terrible. I'm sorry about that, folks. Next time I'll bring a drink with me to cure this. But if you built a stadium in either Europe or in South America that's big enough to hold these dedicated fans that go to Lumen Field, I think it would work in Seattle, to be honest with you. I mean, look what they did in Portland. They've extended it. They've they've, they've upgraded it, and they've added on to the uh, the regular attendance records. I I really think Seattle would be doing uh, the same thing. I really believe if they built a soccer stadium that would mirror La Bombonera – or close to it, close to it. I think, I think it would work. I don't mean they don't have to cap it at twenty five thousand. I could see them building like maybe a thirty or forty thousand seat stadium for Sounder games, and it would be filled to the hilt. I truly believe that. That's real dedication over there in Seattle. But then again, you need to look at the lower levels. USL Championship, USL League One. You need to now look at MLS Pro Next. Because they claim to be a Division Three league. You need to look at NISA, N-I-S-A. You need to look at these clubs below MLS that do or don't have stadiums, where they're playing, how they're playing, and what's the setup. Birmingham Legion in USL Championship is moving to a college football stadium in downtown Birmingham, Birmingham, Alabama for UAB Dragons. That's not a soccer-specific stadium. Charleston Battery gave up their soccer-specific stadium to play at a college soccer stadium, so they don't own it. Wed- Widener Field, the new one in downtown Colorado Springs. Detroit City, Hamtrak. That's their stadium. El Paso Locomotive, minor league baseball stadium. Hartford Athletic, Dillon Stadium is their stadium. Indy 11, the Mike Carroll Track and Soccer Field Stadium, IUPUI. Las Vegas Lights, Cashman Field, former minor league baseball stadium, now theirs. They can fix that baby up to make it more soccer specific. Louisville City, Lynn Family Stadium, their own. Memphis 901 FC, minor league baseball stadium. The Miami FC, FIU Stadium, Monterey Bay, nope, New Mexico United, trying to get their, to build their own minor league stadium, but are playing in a minor league baseball stadium right now, which is not meant for them anymore, Oakland Roots, college soccer stadium, Orange County, looks like a soccer stadium, but I don't think they own it, Phoenix Rising, their own facility, Pittsburgh Riverhounds, they have their own stadium. Rio Grande Valley FC, their own stadium. Sacramento Republic, San Antonio FC, their own stadium. Tampa Bay Rowdies, their own stadium. The San Diego Loyal College Soccer Stadium. FC Tulsa, they're playing in the ballpark, minor league ballpark. And Queensboro FC, for an expansion side, is going to build their own soccer stadium on the campus of York College in Jamaica, Queens, close to Jamaica Railroad Station. Do you understand what I'm saying here, Sebastian? You can give us all these reasons that ProRail can work if you do this or if you do that, but the one issue that you need to understand... <clears throat> is we need stadiums for the game for everyone the only stadium that has a soccer specific stadium in Nissa is Chicago House that's run and owned by Peter Wilt he has SeatGeek Stadium everywhere else they don't own their stadium they pay rent And it's not about what happens if they get promoted. It's about what happens when they get relegated. I want these clubs to feel comfortable and safe. To be where they're supposed to be. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. USL League One. Central Valley Fuego FC expansion team, we don't know where they're going to play. Charlotte Independence, now in downtown Charlotte, in their own stadium. Even though it's on the campus of a college university, they're the ones that fixed it up. Charlotte Independence paid their own money to purchase and fix the Veterans Memorial Stadium. Chattanooga Red Wolves, they have their own stadium. Forward Madison, they have their own stadium. Greenville Triumph, no, they don't. North Carolina FC, they're in Cary. They have their own stadium. Northern Colorado Hailstorm, we don't know where they're going to play. Richmond Kickers, they have their own place. South Georgia Tormenta, for now, I will say they have their own place, but you never know. C Tucson, not really. Union Omaha, they're in the minor league baseball stadium. <clears throat> You don't know if the expansion teams in Lexington, Kentucky, or in Spokane, Washington, will have their own stadium. I think Spokane will, but I'm not quite sure, and I'm not going to put that out there. But I'm here to tell you, every single professional club of every single professional league in this country needs to have their own stadiums. For everything to work. And then, only then, other ideas can come in to join in to be allowing pro and pro-rel. And yes, U.S. soccer needs to also say they want it. You know, I have a listener, you know… Follows what I'm saying on Twitter. And he says it's – U.S. soccer wants to have it, not if it does have it, wants to have it. And they don't want it. And I said it's not just that. It's stadiums for the game. And even though he conceded my argument because he knew I was right, to me, we should not classify – What's Division One Stadium, Division Two Stadium, or Division Three Stadium? No. If you build the stadium, just a stadium for the game, it doesn't have to be 30,000 30, seats, 25,000 seats, 20,000 seats. It could be 10,000 seats. It could be 15,000 seats. It could be 1,500 seats. Hell, it could be those little tiny nothing stadiums where it has only a couple of rows – when you watch FA Cup matches on ESPN Plus. As long as it counts truly for the game and it's only meant for soccer, period, not for soccer and lacrosse or soccer and track and field or soccer and baseball, soccer and softball, nothing like that. Until that happens, we have a good clear-cut case of promotion relegation coming into this country for American soccer period I give advice and I give ideas that make sense not pie-in-the-sky ideas that you think this would work because if you're going to be foolish and stupid about it then you are out of the conversation It's called reality. Live in it. And that will be all I will say about that. But one more note before I move forward. Um, This year will mark 20 years of the successful run in the 2002 World Cup for our U.S. men's national team. I will try to bring on people – that were a part of that group. Those, of course, um, U.S. soccer historians to talk about their feelings, their beliefs of that wonderful run to the quarterfinals of the World Cup. And I will try my best to bring over people who were on that team and who were on that coaching staff If it's possible, and I hope to get the people that I truly want to discuss these wonderful times and these wonderful moments when American soccer made the loudest noise outside of UEFA and CONMEBOL, because we were the ones. That sounded the alarm to say, United States, we are here, and we are ready to roar on the world stage. I want to thank my guests tonight, Brian Dunseth, RSL TV analyst on the new ownership of Real Salt Lake, and of course, Araceli Villanueva from Switch the Pitch on Steve Terundolo as new head coach of LAFC. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care so long and bye-bye for now.